talk a little bit this morning about grace, and I may take a couple of weeks on this. Uh, I'm not sure. We'll see how the Lord leads on it, but um, I want to talk a little bit about grace and what it is. I've done this in times past, but it's, I find that it's so easy for us to get off track on what really is important when it comes to grace. So I want to talk about what grace is, and I want to talk a little bit about what grace isn't. There is a lot in the body of Christ going on right now where there's a lot of push and pull on what grace is and what grace isn't. And some of you, I don't know how much you read different um, articles that come out in Christian publications and stuff, but there's a, it seems to be something, almost every issue of these publications and uh, news feeds that I get that somebody wants to talk about grace and somebody wants to say, well, that's not grace or they're not preaching grace or this person's preaching grace. This is the real grace. This is the false grace. And it's so, so unfortunate because we in our humanity are predisposed to want to hear what is right and what is wrong. That way we can go do those things. Right? Come on. I'm not the only one in here, right, that thinks like that? Okay, you're making me feel bad. Good. Okay. We are predisposed to want to have right and wrong. I say it all the time. We want clear rails to run on. That way we can just go. If somebody would tell me, that this is right and this is wrong, I will know. I'll do the right thing, I won't do the wrong thing, and I can just head in that direction. But really, the life of grace that God has called us into doesn't look anything like that. The life of grace that he's called us into is a life where we live constantly listening to the voice. Always listening to the voice. I find that a lot of times in the church that when we have people who are very passionate for the Lord and for the things of God that if they don't find their fulfillment or expression in joy, they will oftentimes fall into legalism. Mm, (laughs) I'm going to talk over here for a little bit. If we don't find a manifestation in our life for the passion that we have for God in joy, we will go back to legalism. It's the truth. That's why joy is so critically important. As a matter of fact, joy, God is probably more serious about joy than anything else. Did you catch that? God is more serious about joy than anything else. Why? In your presence is the fullness of joy, right? And that's so important, right? All our life should be about the presence of God. In your presence is the fullness of joy. Oh, and by the way, the joy of the Lord is my strength. strength. Wow. If you find somebody who's really strong in life, but they're not walking in the joy of the Lord, they're getting their strength from somewhere else. They're getting it from personal willpower. They're getting it from something else. If there's not legitimate, God-given, heavenly joy in the life of a believer, but they're a strong person, I promise you they're getting it from somewhere else. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Come on, that's a good word, Andrew. Passion for the Lord will have a manifestation of some type. It, it has to. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Anytime you're passionate about something, it leaks out of you somewhere, right? Have you ever run into somebody who's passionate about automobiles? Yeah. Or they're passionate about airplanes or whatever it is. Man, everywhere they go, that's all they want to talk about, yeah. right? Yeah. It manifests itself somehow, but when it's not for the believer, when it's not found and released and manifested in joy, it will revert back to legalism. Legalism is the antithesis of grace. It's the antithesis of grace. Because legalism says two things. Number one, I want clear rails to run on. I don't want to listen to the voice of God. And I want to prove that somehow my life is worthy 
because of what I can perform at. Doesn't work, does it? One of, th- one of two things is going to happen if you slip into performance. You're going to get proud and arrogant because you're finding some measure of success, or you're going to get contemned and defeated because you find you can't do it. Either way, it's no good. The enemy loves to take this thing called grace and distort it and mess it up. He wants to do everything he can to keep us from fully understanding what grace is. Guys, I'm just here to tell you, grace, it's, it, this thing called grace that God has given us, it's worse than you think. I'm serious. It's so much worse than you think it is. We think we know what grace is when we can say, yeah, it's the grace of God, it's the grace of God, but then we add our little percentage amount to it and then try to live from it. It doesn't work like that. You completely defeat what grace is if you live like that. You with me? Yeah, yeah. Grace, and it, Satan wants to distort it. End of the story. He wants to distort it and turn it into something that it absolutely isn't. What grace isn't is a license for sin. Yeah, come on. Come on, let's keep preaching over here. Grace is not a license for sin. Maybe some of you didn't hear that. Grace is not a license for sin. It's a resource for righteousness. Hello? Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? We don't need to do that anymore. There are some that might say grace is just that, where you don't have to worry about the sin in your life anymore. Well, I would agree with them where you don't have to worry about it, but at the same time, it's not something you have to live in. He didn't set me free so I can do whatever I want. He set me free so I can represent him accurately in the earth. That's what grace is about. It's so that I can accurately represent the Savior in the earth. Come on, that's a good word. There's all kinds of things that come with grace. There's blessings in it, right? We would all agree? Uh, And all of the blessings of heaven have been released to me. I don't think God is sitting up there holding back a few and going, let's see what he does. Is he going to perform here? Okay, okay, here, I'll give you a little. Oh, no, no, I'm going to. No, I'll give you this one right here. God, he's not doing that. All of the blessings of heaven have been released to us. The reality is we don't realize them until we begin to come into agreement with what grace really is. So if there are blessings that we are not walking in on this planet, are you with me? It's because we are still at some level walking in unbelief or disagreement with God, and so we don't realize them. But he's got them in our account. They're absolutely, absolutely in our account, ready to be accessed at any moment. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about this, and I said, it's like this. I could tell you, Murata, Murata, I put $10,000 in your bank account. That's awesome. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. And you might go, wow, that's awesome. Thank you, Andrew. But if I come to you and I say to you, Murata, I just put $300 million in your account. All you have to do is go access it. Now, at some level, this is what grace is because grace is like, not 10,000, grace is like 300 million billion. It's like that kind of, that's what grace really is. And I tell you that, at some level, you're going to go, what's the catch? Right? That's just too good to be true. Right? That's, that's way too good to be true. Now, no, wait a minute. Now, I don't, you know what, you hear what I'm saying. Yeah. I know this analogy breaks down at some point, but it's so, it's so good to be true that you, do, you look at it and you go, I don't know, what's the catch? You're up to something. Man, how often do we look at God like that? You're giving me grace now. You're up to something, man. Yeah. You're up to something, man. You're going to pull the rug out from under me, aren't you? 
So I won't, I won't go that far because I'll just rely on my own strength. I'll rely on my own ability because I don't trust you that much. But I'm telling you guys, it's worse than you think. This grace deposit that he's put into us and into our account is so great and so vast and the blessings that go along with it. The word of the Lord says that he makes one rich and he adds no yeah, sorrow. sorrow to Dude, it. Oh, it's right. good. That's right. That's not just about having money. Yeah. I want lots of money. I do. I really do. I want lots of money. I'll tell you why I want lots of money. Because it's a kingdom principle that when it's used correctly, it changes the culture around you. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. Just what you're going to do with it. That's the problem. Oh, and by the way, can I interject right here, right here? What you do with your money right now will be the exact thing you do with money if you ever get 300 million billion dollars. You will do the exact same thing. You will. Take it to the bank. You will do it. Whatever you do with it now, you will do with it then. All right, I'm done. I'm going to get off that soapbox for a little bit. Okay. The Old Testament, when we have Old Testament, we don't really see how grace is expounded upon. As a matter of fact, did you know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even John are still Old Covenant? Right? Until we get to the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, you know they're still Old Covenant, right? So even in the Gospels, you don't see grace being preached. Have you ever noticed that? As a matter of fact, Jesus comes on the scene and he doesn't preach grace. He amps the law up. I'm not kidding, right? You don't see him talking about grace. You see him taking the law and putting it on steroids. What's he doing? He's wanting above anything else. He's wanting to frustrate the efforts of man so that they run out of options and they start looking at him and going, what do I do? What do I do? Is this making sense? He's pointing to, we don't see grace until Paul comes on the scene. And when Paul comes on the scene, now we've got all this stuff being preached, and he's getting persecuted in a completely different kind of way, but he's getting persecuted, and people are saying of him, oh, man, he ain't no preacher. He doesn't know. The book of Galatians, you're familiar with that? He has to write a book to an entire region, to an entire area of churches, because they've come back under this legalistic thing where people have passion for God, but it's not being manifested in joy, so they've resorted back to legalism, and they're saying, go get circumcised. You got you to hold this kind of ritual right here. You got to make sure you keep this, this, this thing right here, this, this feast or whatever. I mean, feasts are wonderful. I'm not about getting rid of those. I think those are wonderful. I, I think the part of the action in the law, they made them want to go back to the law again. Why? Because Paul was this preacher of grace, this kind of grace that's like so heavenly, so divine that I don't worry. Here's the thing. Grace is so awesome that I don't worry about sinning anymore. Yes. Hello? Yes. Because my eye is set on something that empowers me to win. Not on, am I going to win? Am I going to lose? Am I going to win? Am I going to lose? In the Old Testament, in the law, the commandments in the law, it left you to try to perform them completely on your own. Would you agree? There was no indwelling spirit. So Holy Spirit was on a few individuals, but there was no indwelling spirit. So in the Old Covenant, when the law came, you were left to try to perform and do your best completely on your own. Completely on your own. But in grace, every commandment that he gives, he's there working inside of you. That's what Philippians 2 says. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do of what? His good pleasure. You hear that? His good pleasure, meaning there's some kind of command or desire in God's heart for us in humanity, but it says it's him who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Therein lies the difference. The law you have to perform to receive favor and acceptance, and grace starts you off with acceptance and favor. 
One of them says, if you do this, I'll give you acceptance and favor. But grace says, no, I'm giving it to you right at the start. I'm going to start with this. Come on, this should help us as parents with our children. The minute I have to have my children do something in order to earn my acceptance, I am, I am taking them back to old covenant living. Hello? Yes. And Jake would say, I do this perfectly. <laughs> what up? <laughs> Just kidding. If I start off with my kids as accepted and having favor, yeah. then they will be much further yeah. down the road and better off down the road. That really is discipleship. That's discipleship. I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. We don't even use the word punishment in our house. I don't. Well, you're going to get punished for that. Well, here's your punishment. I don't do it at all. Why? Because punishment comes from the word punitive, and punitive means to pay for. So if I punish my kids, I'm saying, you have to pay for what you just did. Well, what did I do? I took them out of grace, and I put them back in the old covenant. The only problem with living in the old covenant is you're always a wanted man, and you're always running from the law. Hello? If, you, if I commit a crime in Argentina, but yet I escape and get back to the United States, I'm okay here. But the minute I go back to Argentina, I'm a wanted man again, right? The minute you go back to law, you're wanted, and there's no way out. There's absolutely no way out. It's what Paul was talking about when he's talking to the Jews in Hebrews. We're going to look at this a little bit more, but he's talking to them about the same thing. He's saying, you guys, you see, you've gotten this revelation, but you keep going back to living in that world you're wanted in. At the end of the day, you can't work for anything, right? For God's favor? Would you agree? Good. I got about three of you who are with me here. All right. You can't work for anything to get God's favor. Agreed? But at the same time, grace works. There you go. <laughs> so I think that's why James says it. He says, you say you have faith? And we're talking about faith and grace. Close here. You say you have faith? I'll show you my faith by my works. Did you know the book of James all, almost was not included in the canon of scripture because of that right there? Because of the misinterpretation of it. They thought, oh my gosh, he's introducing works into this thing called faith, and there's no, there's no such thing. I mean, it's really clear. Now we got two different, we got Paul saying one thing, James saying another, but he's saying the exact same yeah. things, but you have to read yeah. it through Paul's lens. He's saying, you say you have faith? In other words, the Andrew Lamb translation, you say you love God, you say you're walking in the kingdom, your life doesn't look like anything, man. Look at my life. I'm walking in the kingdom, look what follows behind me, Right? Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And all these things will be added unto you. I like that picture. I get a mental picture when I, when I hear that verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. If I'm walking in what God has already so richly supplied for me, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just walking in what he's already given to me. And I look behind me and look, everything's back there. It's just following me wherever I go. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Yeah, now we don't have to worry about the hounds of hell anymore. We got the hounds of heaven. It's one pooch named goodness and one pooch named mercy. And they follow me wherever I go. (laughs) The Old Testament, according to Romans 15, was written for our admonition. It was written for our learning so that we might have, anybody know? Hope. Hope. 
Because some people say, well, now that we're in grace, I don't have to worry about the Old Testament at all. There's nothing in that for me. That's all law. I'm not even worried about that anymore. Thanks for playing. You're going to miss out on a whole lot of stuff. Oh, and by the way, this message of grace that came out starting with Paul and other apostles in the New Testament, when he refers to, as the scripture says, he's not referring to New Testament. He's referring to Old yeah. Testament. Do you know why? There was no New Testament. Yeah. I know you know that, but I just had to remind you of that. There was no New Testament. <laughs> so how are they getting grace out of the Old Testament and referring back to it? Because they're reading it through the lens of Jesus. And they're hearing it through his voice that's coming to them. So the old covenant, it was written for our admonition and our learning. Romans tells me that. 1 Corinthians tells me the same thing. All of the things that were written before were written for that one reason right there. So that we might learn. So that we might find hope. So that we can see. And if you look at it through the lens of Jesus and you read your Old Testament, all you can see over and over again is Jesus. Everything's looking like pointing to Jesus. It's a precursor to who he is. Everything is. The entire sacrificial system was simply pointing to him. So in order to understand it, what we have is we like to live with, uh, we drag things in from the old covenant that don't have anything to do with new covenant living. We need, I like how Bill says it. He says that we need to understand what, what's ended at the cross, what changed at the cross, and what made it completely through the cross. Hello, are you with me? Because there is a difference. And if we don't drag the right things through, if we don't see them correctly, we end up going back into legalism because we don't know what to do with it. Give you case in point. Somebody said something to me the other day. We were talking about life and just patterns of life and issues that we all have in our life. And they said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just living in that, you know, what, what I think it's Exodus talks about. Um, I'm living in that where the sins of the fathers are being visited to the third and fourth generation. Again, stop playing that card. Stop. What do you mean? You're living with the sins of what's being visited down from the third and fourth generation. Are there patterns in cultural life and familial life that get passed down from... Yes, I'm not talking about that. But you are not paying the price for the sins of your fathers. If you are, then we got a Jesus who decided to take care of part of your sins. And he forgave yours, but he didn't forgive your dad's. So now you're getting what your dad had. You just making sense? We, we, have to, we have to really have a good understanding of this. I hear people say, and I know they're well-meaning all the time, but it really is important because how we view these things changes the way we live. I hear people say, well, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. No, you're not. You're not. You are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And if you think you're just covered, then think again. Because what that means is somehow he's like looking at it, but like seeing, not really seeing it. It doesn't work like that. When he looks at you, he doesn't see it anymore at all. You're absolutely cleansed from it. Come on, that's a good hallelujah, right? You're absolutely radically cleansed from it. He took things that were red and cleaned them like white. He took things that were black and cleaned them and made them like white, but he did it with something red. You guys know if you ever put something in the laundry that's white and it's got red with it, it never comes back to white again, right? But the interesting thing about the blood of Jesus is it does do that. It makes things absolutely white, absolutely perfect. So what ended at the cross of Jesus? Well, thank God, blood sacrifice. Come on, right? What an awful way to live. Now, you... 
we like to look at it in scripture and we look at it and we're like, oh yeah, man, if we could just get a glimpse, if we knew what happened during the sacrificial system, that was the most gory, bloody event. Especially when Solomon dedicated the temple and he's thousands of rams and sheep. I know. I'm not gonna, I'll let you entertain that in your own mind. We're talking like rivers of blood rushing, not just little puddles. Pretty intense stuff. Aren't you glad that that ended with the cross of Jesus Christ? That all ended. Why? Because it was done once for all. Once for all. Everybody say once for all. all. Come on, that's good to say. Say it again. Once for all. I'm going to walk you through this in Hebrews. Take, Take a look at this. Go with me to Hebrews. Even though I said turn wherever you want, we're going there. Is everybody still with me? Hallelujah. Jesus, help me. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read a bulk of this chapter right here. So just stay with me. Hebrews chapter 10. This entire chapter is pointed, pointing to animal sacrifices being insufficient and Christ's death being absolutely perfect. Okay, so you ready? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come... And not the very image of the things. Come on, that's good right there. The law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, would they have not ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, everybody say the worshipers. That's who we are. The worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. All it could do, this is, when you think back about this system right here, this old covenant system, whenever there was sacrifice, it covered sin. Amen? It covered sin, but it covered it for the moment. The minute you walk away, you're back in sin again. There's no hope. I mean, this is not, you know, it's like the whole, the whole system of trying to pay for your sins is so condemning and so awful. We should shed that stuff. Shame, guilt. You guys hear what I'm saying, right? Yes. I hope you hear what I'm saying. I preach messages like this and some people say, well, Andrew, are you saying it's okay to sin? I don't know how you get that. I don't know. I'm not saying, I am not saying that. <laughs> Everybody on the podcast, I am not saying that. Do you understand me? I am simply saying our awareness has to come back to the fullness of the grace of God that not only took care of sin that we passed, it took care of past, present, and our future. And so my awareness now is not going to be focused on that. My awareness is going to be focused on what has God graced me for right now because inside of his grace, he's equipped me to do the very thing that he's called me to do. Moving on. Verse 5, therefore, when he came into the world, speaking of the person of Jesus, he's quoting now, Jesus is quoting Old Covenant, and he's saying, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Come on, Come on, what was lost in the Garden of Eden was restored in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Eden, they say, my will be done. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, no, Lord, your will be done. And in that act was restored back. 
It was that, that condition and position of the heart that completely changes everything. Verse 8, previously saying, sacrifice and, off, and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. And then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified. Come on. Yes. By that will, we have been sanctified. John 1.13. I, I, whenever I read this passage here, it always takes me back to John 1.13, where he's talking about uh, being born, born again and all that. We're getting, he breaks it down in John 3, but in John 1, he talks about it who are those who are, have the right to be called the sons of God. And it says, who are born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, and not of man, but of God. Right? Yes. Come on, this should be good news to you. Yes. Because it's his will that changed everything. Oh boy, I feel a bunny path, but I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Okay. <laughs> So by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Everybody say this with me. Once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which never take away sins. You're getting what's happening here, right? But this man, who? Jesus Christ, right? After he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. What do people do when they sit down? What are they saying? I'm done. All done. It's all done. I'm going to sit down. I'm done. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever. Everybody say forever. Those who are being sanctified. So one verse he's saying you are sanctified. Now he's saying you're being sanctified. Which one is it? Yes. Yes. The sanctification is complete. But there's a sanctification in my mind that's not caught up with it yet. That's why we have the whole renewed mind. And our renewed mind is simply the mind that starts to agree with the kingdom of God. All about his character and nature and agrees with it. Because when you agree with it, you begin to live like that. Hello? Right? Because you cannot consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent with what you believe. So whatever you believe will dictate how you behave. End of story. Now you may be able to fight it for a while and fake it. But it won't last very long because you can't consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent with what you believe. Where was I? Thank you. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. Thank God for that. Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, listen, church. Listen, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Come on, that's a, that's a good word right there. That's the best word of the day. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. No more. Why is it that we in our humanity seem that we, can, we think that we know more than God and we keep bringing them back up again? And he's sitting there going, I don't know what you're talking about. Here's the interesting thing. Yes, we have the ability to remember what we've done wrong. And I think it's a good thing in some respects. Because if we didn't remember, we might repeat the same thing over again. Right? But when we remember, 
And I tell people this all the time. I was counseling someone a number of years ago that had gone through some really difficult stuff in their marriage. And he had a, he had a galactic case of stupid that came over him and he did some dumb, th- dumb things. And I remember the process of walking through with his wife and the restoration that they were going through. And he said to me, he goes, this is so difficult. I wish I could just make this stuff go away. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't want to do that. You want to hold it very, very, very close to you. You don't want to run away from it. You want to hold it very, very close to you. That way, when you get close to that again, you're going to remember that that hurts. And you don't want to do that again. Right? It's like getting burned by a stove. Your parents can tell you, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. But then as soon as you touch it, you remember. And you know what you do? You don't go there again, do you? Right? I'm not saying that's the way of life. I'm just saying you want to remember that hurt when you did that. That hurt. So... Sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. (laughs) Ha ha! Come on. Where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Are you guys still in the room with me here? Okay. Why then do we keep going back and thinking that we can do something to to bring restitution for the sin? (laughs) You can't do it. You You can acknowledge it. And you can call it what it is. That's what confession is. The word confession in the Greek, homo legeo, it means same word. Same word. It's literally what it means. Well, what is confession? Saying you're sorry? No. Saying you did it. That's confession. Hello? (laughs) You say what it is. You agree with God. This is what this is. That's what that is right there. That's confession right there. You say what it is. But you can't do anything. As a matter of fact, it's in in the confession we start to find the healing. Because when you begin to agree with what God is saying then your life begins to line up with it. Is this making sense at all? Yes. What I'm saying? Okay. All right. Just, just want to make sure here. I got five okay. of you going. Okay. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, of hol- holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Say new and living way. New and living way. Say it again. New and living way. Isn't that funny? We keep trying to approach in an old and dead way. We do it all the time. Because we're predisposed to that. I see it happen in the church all the time. People living and trying to walk in an anointing that was for yesteryear. And anointings are just this. They're for task. And when the task is done, the anointing is done. You find a different anointing. Hello? You're with me? And when we try, it's like, oh, there's glory on this. I I have this happen as a worship leader. I go into certain places and people want to do these really, really old, old, old songs. And it's like nothing wrong with that. They're great. But sometimes some of these old songs, there's not an anointing on them. There's just a familiarity on them. You hear the difference? Now, sometimes there is, but I'm simply saying, well, this is, if I do this song right here, this is when the glory comes. (laughs) Well, it did, but maybe there's something new because he opened up a new and living way. And what we really are looking for, again, this grace thing, it comes back to listening to the voice of God because he said that once before. Hold on to it. Don't ever forget it. But at the same time, as you move into the future, listen because he might be saying something new. He just might be saying something new. All right. Verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from a what? Wow. Wow. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Oh, I love this one. I love this one. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. (laughs) I just got to say this. 
Because it's Proverbs 18.1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all sound wisdom. And the only way to avoid that is not neglect the assembling of the saints. You need somebody in your life that can stand there and go, stop being stupid. That what you said right there, that was really, really dumb. Don't do that anymore. That's what I called somebody on it the other day when they were talking about the sins of the fathers. I said, stop that. Stop that. It's simply not true. It sounds good because you're quoting scripture, but that is galactically stupid. You want to live like that? You live under the expectation that you're going to get the sins of your fathers from third and fourth. I don't want to live like that. I've been set free from that stuff. Come on. Four of you believe that. All right. All right. It ended. Blood sacrifice ended. The sacrifice of Jesus all sufficient. What changed? I'm going, to spend, I'm going to move through this a little quicker. What changed? Well, for one thing, the Sabbath changed, right? In the Old Covenant, the Sabbath was what? Saturday, Saturday right? And it was how many days of the week? One. one, right? Good. You guys know your weeks. That's good. In your days. How many days of the week was the Sabbath? And it changed when it came through the cross. Now there's not a Sabbath of one day. Every day is the Sabbath. Yeah. Every day is the Sabbath. Come on. That's good. That's awesome. Come on. I'm just going to stop working. No, I'm not going to. Because grace works. Sabbath changed. It went from being one day of the week. Now we live in a constant yeah. Sabbath. There's an ongoing Sabbath that happens. Hebrews 3.17. Since you're in Hebrews, turn back. I love this passage of scripture. Uh, Hebrews 3, 7. Uh, should I read all of this? Yes, I will. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, as Holy Spirit says, today, if you will what? Hear his voice. Remember, it's about listening. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. <laughs> they always go astray in their heart. Yeah. The heart of the problem is, it's a problem with the heart. And it always is. The heart is where your mind, your will, and emotions live, right? It's your soul, right there. That, that's where it all lives. That's where our, our thinking tends to reside, is how we feel. If I feel like this, then therefore it must be like this. You guys know what I'm saying, right? Feelings are great. They're great to express, but understand something. Your feelings are simply a true representation of your perceived reality. Yes. Not reality. Your feelings are a true representation of your perceived reality reality. Hello? Is that making sense? They're not a true representation of reality itself. Always go astray in their hearts. Always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you, what does it say? An evil heart of... Oh, not an evil heart of sin. It's an evil heart of unbelief. Because remember, we can't consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent with what we believe. So if I have an evil heart, the evil heart is no longer defined by sin. It's defined by unbelief. Come on. Is that good? Yes. I feel like I'm giving you guys a drink with a fire hose. Is everything okay? Yes. It's an evil heart of unbelief. It's not the evil heart of sin. In departing from the living God. In other words, going back to Egypt. And that's exactly what they wanted to do, Right? You see the miracles, the signs, the wonders of God. You get in some desperate situation. You go, God, why did you pull me out of that? I want to go back to Egypt again. It would be much easier if I just went back there, right? That's exactly what they did. And it was he in his anger swore, you're never going to enter my rest living like that. I don't know about you, but as a new covenant believer, I want rest. I want the Sabbath. I want the Sabbath, not one day a week. I want the Sabbath every day of the week. Where my awareness is constantly going, you sat down. You finished the work. 
Now, I, somewhere I'm not believing that. I need to get into agreement with you. Amen. I need to get into agreement so my life begins to, to, to look like that. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, say, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Very good. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? That word there literally means to reject belief. Mm. Right? Yes. That's what that word literally, did not obey, means, literally means to reject belief. So when you reject belief, that's what causes disobedience. I don't believe it, so I'll do this. Because if I believed it, I would do this. Hello? So, we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. That's what changed the Sabbath. And what keeps us out of the Sabbath is unbelief. One last one. This is something that came completely through the cross and didn't change at all. Anybody know what it is? It's Davidic worship. It is. It's Davidic worship. You know, there were three tabernacles that go throughout history. You had the tabernacle of, of, of Moses, right? And it's a very clear-cut, you probably have seen pictures of it. It's extremely clear-cut, dimensions, everything on what it's supposed to look like, how it was described, how it was supposed to be built, um, what the priest wore. It's very, very clear. And then you move into later times, and you see the tabernacle, or now the temple of Solomon. And it's very, very clear, right? But there was also a tabernacle of David. And you know what? It's not very clear on how that thing was made. Do you know why? Because God isn't after externals. He's after internals. That's why it's said of David. He's a man after God's own heart. What came through in Davidic worship was Davidic worship completely untouched. Meaning, it's not... He created instruments. Dude was a beast, man. David was a beast. He created instruments that never existed. He wrote songs like a madman. He knew how to communicate the very heart of God. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. But I think it's really interesting that it's Davidic worship that came through. But when you look at it, that tabernacle of David, you don't know what it looks like. Why? Because now we worship in spirit and truth. Right? Just making sense. Acts 15, 13, and 17. I'm not going to read it, but you can go look at it. That really supports what it's talking about. It's the whole Jerusalem council. And it really supports it. So Acts 15, 13, and 17. I'm saying that very quickly. You can go look at it. Turn to Exodus 19, and I'm going to wrap this up. I know I'm flying at like 700 miles an hour right now. And I'll try to land this thing without hitting the side of a mountain. But are you still with me? This is something I've spoken on here before, but I think it's really, really important to understand this grace message. Because the law and grace, they're absolutely polar opposites of each other. We just like to feel better if I can mix a little of the two together. If I can mix these two together, then I'm going to be okay. Because I just, at the end of the day, anything that I don't understand, I get scared of. And so I want to go back to something I understand. Exodus 19 in verse 6. This is all Israel coming out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai. They're at the point now where they've been like, this is where they were headed. This is what God said, go there. I want you to worship. And so here's what happens. 
Moses goes up on the mountain, and in verse 6, let me begin with verse 5. God speaks to Moses and said, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Come on, right? This is the word of the Lord at the onset of Mount Sinai. He says to Moses, this is what I want you to tell everybody. Go tell them. So they go down and they tell. I'm going to summarize this. He goes down and he says to everybody, this is what God wants. He wants for all of us to be a kingdom of priests. God always wants this, guys. God, this is what he always wants. Starts with Adam and Eve, and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply in the garden. And the garden was a specific size, right? Because we have the boundaries laid out in Genesis. It was a specific size, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. God's intention was for more than Adam and Eve to carry on with this oneness intimacy with God, right? And as they expanded, the garden would expand with them. Because we see there's two different things. There's the world outside, there's the garden inside. And as they expanded, that was God's plan. They didn't do anything. They didn't do it right. We all know that. Flood comes. Noah, his family, in the ark. Right after that, you see a genealogy for years and years and years and years and years. And God is saying to Noah, same thing, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, right? He's wanting nations. That's what he wants. And they decide, no, we get to this place here where the land looks pretty good. Let's build a tower. Let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves. And what does God do? He comes down, confuses their language, and they split up and go everywhere. So God says, doggone it. Maybe he said that, maybe he didn't. Here we are. I'm trying to make a nation. I'm trying to make the world, the fullness of, the, of humanity to experience this oneness with me. And so Adam and Eve mess it up. Noah, his generations, they mess it up. So he goes, you know what? I'm going to find this guy. I'll find a guy, Abram. He's a good guy. I'll find him. And what does he do? He says, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to, sands of the sea, stars of the sky, you're going to have family. And this is really in my heart because it's all about the family. And I want nations to be blessed because of you. So he does it. He walks through it. And we know the genealogy of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. We get into it. We get into where they go into Egypt. Ultimately, they're delivered. And they're delivered. Here we are at Exodus now. They're getting delivered. And God says, the whole people, I want everybody in on this, all right? You are going to be a kingdom and a nation. You're going to be priests unto God. Well, long story short, They see the thunder, the lightning. They see all that's happening up on the mountain. And what do they say to Moses? (laughs) You talk to God and come tell us what he says, right? You know what that is? Here's God trying to extend the fullness of grace to a people, even in an old covenant. And he's saying, if you'll listen to my voice, I'll give you everything. But they freak out, they get scared, and they back off and they say, no, Moses, you talk to God and then come tell me what it says. Isn't that what we're still predisposed to? Come on, if we're being real, we want to come into a church like this and have the pastor give you something. That ain't my job. It ain't my job. Well, I'm not getting fed there. Well, I promise you, pretty much any church you go into that loves Jesus, the Bible-believing church, any church you go in, I don't care how bad it is, if you really want to find some food, you can get it. You can. That pastor's job is not to feed you. Psalm 23 is one of the best passages concerning pastoral leadership ever. And it doesn't say, he put some really good stuff there and made me eat it. It says, he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, I can take you to that location, but you have to feed yourself. 
You grab it yourself. You dig into it yourself. I say all the time, don't believe anything I'm saying. You better go find it out for yourself. Go better go find it out for yourself. You can't live on my theology. You can't live on my Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so good. You need your own. Amen. Oh, God help us. God help us. He's calling an entire nation into priesthood ministry, and they reject it. If you look over in 20, chapter 20, verse 18 and 19, that's where it says that. I'll give you the reference. You can look at it. So what does God do? He then has to go, okay, I'll take the tribe of Levi. Of all the 12 tribes, then I'll take the tribe of Levi. And I'll, I'll make them to be a model to the rest of the nation on what relationship is supposed to look like. In other words, we don't want to hear the voice for ourselves. We want somebody else to hear. Guys, this is grace. This is what grace and what law is. It comes down to this right here. I don't want to hear. I want somebody to tell me. I want somebody to tell me this is how I'm supposed to live. That's not grace. That's law. And you can have all the passion in your heart for God and the gusto to go for him and stuff, but if you don't have this desire burning inside of you to hear the voice of the Lord, it will turn into legalism. You will go into a place, into a church, and you can visit them all over town, and you can have a passion for God. But if you're not filled and it's not manifesting in joy, you'll sit there and you'll pick it apart and you'll be like, yeah, I don't believe that. Uh, no, no, that's wrong. Yeah, I don't know about that right there. That's, that's just plain weird. That's weird. Were you guys here last week? Some weird things happened here last week. It's weird. Some, some people, it's really weird. We had people falling on the floor, but somebody laying hands on them, people falling on the floor. Why do people fall on the floor? I don't know. They can't stand up. Don't ask. All I know is, listen, how many were here last week when Kay was laying hands on people? Yeah, it, was, it got a little crazy in here, right? It was awesome. It was so wonderful, wasn't it? It was so great. She laid hands on me, and I felt like I was getting shocked. I felt like electricity was going through my body. But you know what? I just got to say this, just to make sure that these kinds of things stay clean and we don't get all weird, because people get weird. We do. We get weird. People fall on the ground, and other people will say, well, I didn't fall, so I didn't get anything. Come on, man. You're, not, you're, you're listening to man. I'm all about the impartation and laying on of hands. That's totally biblical. That's right on. But when she laid hands on me, I felt something in the physical, but that wasn't the prize. Yeah. That was not the prize. Yeah. The prize was the quickening inside of me where I heard the voice of the Lord saying to me, Andrew, don't forget what I told you. And it stirred things up inside of me that brought me back to a place where I was like, I was hiding from the gifts of God inside of me. I was hiding from them because I didn't want to be weird. I didn't want to be uh, the man. I didn't want to be the platform guy. And if you know me, you know how much I hate that. What I really want to see is the fullness of the body of Christ made manifest. It's much more beautiful. I don't want one color. I want all the colors. I like that. So I felt that when she laid hands on me, I could feel the quickening of the spirit and the voice of the Lord saying to me down inside, don't forget what I gave you. Because she was laying hands on for signs and wonders. And I hear that, don't forget. Did I get shocked? Yeah, I got shocked. But that's not the end all. So when people, when you come up and you get prayed for and you're seeing people fall down or people manifesting and doing stuff, glory, hallelujah, pass the mustard, whatever. (laughs) What I'm after is what is God saying inside? Because that's when you learn to live by grace. That's when you learn to go, I heard his voice and I can live from that voice right there. It's all about the voice. It's all about the voice. God speaks to them. They're so caught up in the signs and wonders and the manifestations that it freaks them out. Don't ever get freaked out by signs and wonders. They're signs that make you wonder. (laughs) So don't get freaked out. Signs point to something, right? 
I can head down the road here, get on the interstate, I-4, head to Tampa, and at some point, I'm going to see a sign that says Tampa, right? And it'll tell me how far away it is. Have I arrived? No, No, that's just a sign. It's pointing to something. It's letting me know what's coming. Gold dust, she talked about that a lot last week. Gems, diamonds, I love all that. Did you guys see that rock she had on her hand? My gosh, 50 carats. Just fell right in front of her. Why? I don't know. But I want it. I want that kind of, does that stuff freak us out? Well, if it does, then we need to just get over it a little bit. Because they're just signs, and the signs point to something. I call them heavenly door prizes. They're heavenly door prizes. That's really what they are. They're heavenly door prizes. You ever go to an event and they got all kinds of fun things going on and they got door prizes and you get a number and you might win something like, woohoo, I got this, a set of new knives or whatever, right? Right? They're door prizes. What are those things that manifest? They're door prizes. They're not the main event. That's not why we gathered. Why I gather in here, and I embrace, I'm on a tangent right now, but I hope you're with me. I gather in here with you guys because I want to see the full manifestation of the person of God in all of us. The manifold wisdom of God, the multicolored is what that means. The multicolored wisdom of God made manifest in the church to principalities and powers, Ephesians 3 says. This is what grace looks like, church. Grace is not a cover for sin. It's a resource for righteousness. So let's get done with that. Let's just be done. Let's be done with that. Okay, put that, file that away. That's not what that, grace is something that comes along. It's the grace of God that comes along that's in his very voice and in his very person that propels us in our frail humanity to places that we could not even imagine, right? And I don't ever want to minister out of my talent or my, just my raw ability and neglect the grace of God. I want the grace of God so much so that it pushes me into realms that I'm uncomfortable. It pushes me into places that are just humanly impossible. That's what I'm looking for. Everybody stand up with me here. Grace works. The only time it doesn't work is when we don't listen to the voice. (laughs) Oh, ask for grace the next time you sit down to do your reading in your Bible. Serious. Ask for grace. I didn't go into it, but it's really funny how we can take passages like Isaiah 58 and build fasting theologies. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds. So what do we do? We go into fasting, forgetting grace in the midst of it and and forgetting everything about what he's trying to say in Isaiah 58. And he's simply saying in Isaiah 58, don't fast like that. But what do we do? We turn it into a way we're supposed to fast. Come on. Come on. Everybody hold your hands out. All right, Lord. The one full of grace and truth. The one full of grace. And guys, grace and truth are not polar opposites of each other. They're not. They're not. Grace and truth is not the velvet-covered two-by-four you hit people with. (laughs) They're not opposites. They are all together. Grace and truth, right? Okay, Lord, you're, they're the fullness of grace and truth, the very essence, the very manifestation of what grace looks like. So, Lord, it's, it's you that we're longing for, and it's you that we look for the revelation from, because Holy Spirit speaks of what you're talking about. So, Lord, I pray for all of us in here that we, uh, we really, Lord, I pray deep, deep, deep revelation of what grace looks like. And, Lord, we would stop playing around with arguments and trying to decipher in our humanity what grace looks like. Lord, I don't want to 
use my words what grace looks like. Lord, I want it to be manifest in my life, and I want it to be trailing behind me everywhere I go. This is what grace looks like. This is what grace looks like. Oh, yeah. Okay, just stay here a minute. And you, in your own words, just say, Lord, show me what it is. Show me what grace is. Show me what grace is, Lord. (laughs) Oh, you make me happy, God. You make me happy. You make me happy that my intellect doesn't have to fully understand. And that I don't get uptight when I don't fully understand. Because you offer a peace that passes all human understanding, which means at some point i got to let go of my human understanding in order to go past it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we be a people here at this body that model what grace really looks like. Lord, that we model it, that we walk in open, honest relationship with each other, that we recognize that we don't have to hide, we don't have to run, We don't have to walk in shame or fear or guilt. Lord, because your grace is sufficient for everything. For everything. In Jesus' name, I pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. Listen, guys, again, these moments right here at this point right now, this is where I, in my mind, start to go, man, are we going to get it? Are we going to get it? Are we going to get it? I, I just really hope you're hearing my heart in this. I'm not interested in preaching messages so you can go, oh, that was good. I have zero concern for that. I don't wake up in the morning, any morning, not even Sunday morning, I don't wake up with this burning desire to preach. I don't. I wake up with a burning desire to see the body of Christ represent Jesus. Yeah. That's my burning desire. So I don't want ever want every, anything we do in here just to be about some kind of good message or something I learned. It's way more than that. It's way more than that. If it's not transforming our lives, then I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. So... Thank you, God. Amen.